1: Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. It is April 2nd. As we record this, you are going to be listening to this a couple days after that, I would guess. Uh, But we are happy to have you joining us on this uh, latest edition of of the podcast. We have Joe Healy here alongside me, uh, and we are committed, as always, to to continuing this podcast throughout uh, college baseball's ongoing hiatus. We have a lot of fun stuff uh, that we're working on, most notably our series or most notably for for the purposes of this podcast, our, our series of watching classic games you can find on YouTube. Uh, you know, that was that was mostly Joe's idea, and we are running with that uh, full steam ahead. Today we are going to talk about the 2018 Oxford Regional. Sorry, Ole Miss fans. Uh, you can uh, leave now if you if you don't want to uh, to get triggered or or fast forward about I would say uh, 40 to 45 minutes. <laughs> Tennessee Tech taking on Ole Miss in the 2018 Oxford Regional. Very exciting game. One of the better Cinderella stories that the NCAA tournament has given us in the last uh, several years, maybe even in the last decade. Uh, so we'll we'll have former Tennessee Tech coach Matt Braga. Uh, he is now the Rice coach. He will join us in a bit to to talk about that game. Before we get to that though, Joe, uh, you know how are you enjoying the you know, what what has become what what your idea has become in, in that, you know, you, you go back and you actually have to watch these games that you dug up on YouTube.
2: Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and, and not just for the reasons you might expect. So like I think the obvious reasons you might expect one to enjoy this is going back and, and reliving a good game or just a game that had a good storyline, things like that. And that is true. But I think what what I've enjoyed about it beyond that is it really does bring a little bit of normalcy to, to to doing this job and doing what we do because I'm having to watch this game because we're going to talk about it on the podcast. Which usually it's during the season it's watching this game because I'm going to write about it or watching this game because you know it kind of uh, you know folds into something I'm writing about and then sometimes we talk about it on the podcast too. But uh, so it does kind of give that that feeling of, of normalcy where I'm watching this game, I need to take pay attention to it, take some notes on it, kind of formulate some thoughts on it uh, because we're going to be interviewing someone much in the same way, you know, you or I might interview a coach or a player after the game. Um, and then we're going to talk about it on the podcast and break it down. And so it really kind of has flexed that muscle a little bit, if you will, that, um, you know we're not going to be using in the same way anymore so in that way it's kind of been kind of been neat too to to get back into that a little bit but but more than anything else it really is just the being able to to relive these games and this was a good one because i, I remembered it fairly well um i actually was surprised that uh, i'm usually not someone who has that great memory of remembering specific things themes and moments throughout the game but this one i actually Um, I actually surprised myself with how much I did recall as it was happening. I kind of expected to be wrong about a a lot of it. But, um, you know, I just kind of remember it as it was happening. And and remember, it's one of the games where I remember where I was when I was watching it. And so it was was cool to kind of be able to go back to those memories and and think about it that way. So a a really fun game. Excited to talk about it uh, with Coach Braga. and And then obviously you and I breaking it down as well.
1: Yeah, I, I enjoy this exercise because it, like, takes us back to some June afternoon or evening, you know, th- from, from years ago, th- this case just a couple years ago, in, in the case of when we broke down the 95 CWS title game, like, that was obviously a long time ago. And, you know, just going back to, a, you know, a simpler time, uh, just a June afternoon or evening at the ballpark, like, those are, those are the best times in college baseball. You know, obviously there, there's just so much on the line there, and uh, you know the, it, the 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 regional weekend or Omaha is just so much fun to experience and and watch the the drama unfold in front of you and, and feel the energy and the electricity. And this is the only way we're going to get that. Uh, we have to we have to go back and, and watch the old games. We're not getting that anytime soon. You know, not just because it's only April third, but you know we're going to have to wait until until next year to, to get June baseball back at the college level, at least. And I would guess pretty much any level, uh, but we're, we're going to, to see where that that takes us. But in the meantime, Joe and I are going to continue rewatching the, these classic games. And again, today we're going to be here talking about the 2018 Oxford regional final. Uh, again, that's Tennessee tech and Ole miss. And we get to this point, And it, it, this is the, the winner take all game. It's game seven. They get to this point because Tennessee Tech beat Ole Miss earlier in the day to to force a game seven. I guess there had been some rain that had delayed things, right? Because otherwise, that game would have taken place the well, ordinarily on, on the Sunday. But so they they had to play a doubleheader in in Oxford that day. If Tennessee Tech won that first game, and they did so in resounding fashion, they at one point were up ten to nothing. They go on to win fifteen to five. And, and that sets up, uh, you know, that this this winner-take-all Game 7, Joe. And, uh, you know, the the Tennessee Tech team that year is, is really an incredible team. And, you know, why don't you kind of quickly sum up what Tennessee Tech was in 2018 at this point?
2: Yeah, they were the, – I, I joked on Twitter yesterday that they were as close as we've come in recent years to answering the question, what if the team just didn't lose? Um, because they were – absolutely outstanding all year i i remember i mentioned this in the last podcast i have a little bit of an attachment to this team because i think in this profession there is a little bit of um there's an opportunity every once in a while to see a team that you uh that you see something in that hasn't quite fully formed yet and i remember going to see at the time i was living in the midwest and i went to see tennessee tech play On a nasty 40-degree, I mean, I think it was 40 degrees, but it felt colder, kind of dreary, slightly drizzly day uh, at SIU Edwardsville. Tennessee Tech had come to town, and I was there in part because I knew Tennessee Tech was a good team. They had been to a regional the previous year and had beaten Florida State. They were the predicted OVC champs again. Um, And also, it was that part of the season where there wasn't a lot going on in the Midwest yet. And so I was just kind of eager to, to go out and, and, and see games. And so I, I went out there and, you know, what I saw was a really physical offensive team um, and not just OVC offensive because there's OVC offensive. You know, uh, it is an offensive league, but this was on another level. And then the pitching was really good. Um, you know, they pitched Marcus Evie that day and on on a, you know, 40 degree day that was dreary with heavy air. He was still throwing 94 and so, you know, I joked after that game and then later in that season that a, a team at that level in that league should have to pick between being that offensive and having pitchers throw mid 90s. Like, you can't, you shouldn't be able to be both, but they were. And I think you see that in this game, it, not to, to take away too much of it, but like they were at the back of their bullpen and they were having to use some guys they didn't necessarily um, think they would be using or have to use. And they were still good enough arms to, to get it done. Now, some of that was, Ole Miss being a little bit tight and, you know, maybe the at-bats weren't great at some points, but they still had to to throw enough strikes and and, and battle enough and compete. So, uh, but it was just, and I forget what the record was in the regular season, but they only lost 12 games overall. And when you figure they lost two in the super regional to Texas, they lost one in the regional uh, in Oxford, and they had actually lost two in the conference tournament because actually the OVC was a 2 bid league that year. Morehead state had come through the OVC tournament Uh, So Tennessee Tech took five postseason losses, which means they'd only lost seven times leading leading up to the OVC tournament. And I think more than half those losses came in the first few weeks of the season. I know they lost a series to Troy early on, and that might have been their only series loss all year. So uh, just one of the absolute best low-major, mid-major, whatever you want to call it, teams in college baseball history, probably, honestly. I mean, most of our great Cinderella stories in college baseball— are really good teams and conferences that are not power conference teams, but still pretty good. Coastal Carolina, you know, coming out of the, um, you know, they were in the big South at the time. Um, But Coastal Carolina being kind of a cut above what we expected from a mid major. And then even Fresno state back in 08, they were not a stereotypical mid major in that way. But, but Tennessee tech was (laughs) like in every sense of the word, the talent wasn't, but the program was, and uh, the expectations were so, uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go back and relive this because it, I, I really kind of wanted to celebrate what they were able to do. And uh, you can hear it when you, when you listen to the interview with coach Braga, you can hear it in his voice kind of now he's, he's just a, an easygoing uh, guy who, who loves to to talk about his teams and his players and he loves the the game. So it's, he's easy to talk to in that way, but you can also hear in his voice, just kind of the joy and the appreciation he has about revisiting this. And, and I think that's absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, he, uh, he he really does express a lot of love for that team and, and it's deserved. You know, I was uh, around the team for a bit after this, this regional in, in the super in Austin. And, and they were, it, it seemed they were, they were very loose. They were very close. They, they had a lot of confidence. And um, you know, that, that, you know, coach Bragg will, will talk about that more in depth, but you know, that, that shows on the field that shows off the field. And and I'm not surprised that that the team was as close as they were. You you mentioned them, you know, the way Morehead state was able to win the OVC tournament that year. And the fact that Troy um, beat Tennessee tech in a series, I I believe it was opening weekend, Tennessee tech kind of got two other teams into the field, you know, because if they win OVC tournament, Morehead state's not getting in. And I'm not saying Troy doesn't get in if they don't have that tennessee tech series win uh but troy made it and troy was very bubbly and the fact that tennessee tech was as good as they were and troy had a series win over them uh, that definitely helped the trojans get in the field so just kind of kind of interesting how that all comes together and you know i remember at times that that season i was i was admittedly a little late to the tennessee tech bandwagon Uh, but once i was ready I jumped on with two feet like I was I was all in as soon as I was in and it was it was an exciting ride. You know, they were they were legit good. And you do feel for Ole Miss when you're watching this game because that Ole Miss team was also legit good. And, you know, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at my final projection of where I had Tennessee Tech going uh, before the 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 Selection Monday, like on on the eve of Selection Monday, where I had them going, but to get that at to be the number four overall seed that Ole Miss was, and then to get this Tennessee Tech team that would have been, you know, much higher seeded or at least had a bet much better RPI number, if they just don't lose the OBC tournament, if you just take that out, you know, I can't imagine that they really would have would have gone sent to the number four overall seed like that. That was really tough. What what the committee gave gave the Rebs. And I know no one's going to feel sorry for them for that, but you know, it, the this is part of the reason why I would love to see, and so many other people would love to see the whole tournament get seeded, because I don't think that if you lined up all the two seeds up, the Tennessee Tech would have ended up as the fourth worst two seed in the field that year. That that was that was much harder than you would expect the number four overall seed to get. But it is what Ole Miss got, and it, it led us to uh, to an exciting. Uh, game seven of of that Oxford Regional. So with that, let's uh, let's get to our interview with Coach Braga. He has a lot of exciting things to say or interesting things to say. Maybe you'll find them exciting. Uh, they, they were certainly interesting as uh, as he looks back uh, and we look back at this uh, 2018 Oxford Regional final. Today on the Baseball America College Podcast, we're happy to welcome in Matt Braga, who at the time uh, of the, the 2018 Oxford Regional, was was coaching Tennessee Tech. He is now with Rice as the head coach, moved there after the 2018 season. But, Coach, we're, we're very excited to talk with you about the 2018 Oxford Regional. Before we get into that and, and all things Tennessee Tech from that season, uh, you know, just the way the, the 2020 season ended obviously was very unfortunate, but now that we've had a little more time to digest everything and get some news about the draft and about the, the eligibility situation, just where are you at in terms of processing everything and, and moving on? I guess now to to what what lies ahead.
3: Well, I'll tell you what it's, it's been a it's been honestly a a hectic. Uh, Week or so, in all honesty, kind of awaiting what the NCAA was going to do. Um, it seemed like right away everyone was going to get eligibility back, but then there were so many other question marks with what was going to happen with rosters and scholarships and things of that nature. We obviously got those answers on Monday, um, and then it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind since then because um, you know you're still not a hundred percent sure. At a place like Rice, we have so many great young men and and with great degrees. And so we're still trying to figure out, you know, who for sure is going to come back. That with seniors this year. That won't count against our 35-man roster. And and then, you know, what we have beyond that. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics going on in college baseball right now. 2021, I don't feel like, guys, is going to be the year that there's going to be that much stress from a roster perspective. I look at 2022 as the year when the rosters are supposed to be back down to 35, where there could be some stressful times for coaches making decisions that are difficult like decisions, even for your young men within your program. So this is going to take a little while to play out. It'll, it'll be really interesting. I think the NCAA did what was right by giving those guys a year back and by giving everyone a year back. It was a lost year. It is what it is. And so I think they made a good decision. So we're off to a good uh, start. It'll be interesting to see if any, uh, if there are other decisions that are made in time that are different than what we see right now.
1: Absolutely. Truly unprecedented times. It'll be interesting to see how everything unfolds this summer. I have a feeling the NCAA is going to have to go back in and uh, futz with those baseball rules a, a little bit more to, to get everyone good for the next few years. Because it is, it is a strange situation. But... Mm-hmm. We'll uh, we'll see how everything unfolds uh, from here. Yes. Now before we want to get into this uh, this 2018 Oxford Regional, but before we get into the game seven that you guys won in in such exciting fashion, I want to set the stage a little bit. You guys uh, were the winningest team in the country, Ole Miss, the you know the the two winningest teams on the field that day. Uh, you you had to come out of the losers bracket in the regional, having you know dropped a game in there. And you'd won 15 to five earlier in the day to, to force this winner take all game seven. How much did that help, uh, you know, having that momentum, uh, you know, from the, the first game going into game seven, or or was that kind of a, a non factor once everything got going there?
3: No, Teddy, I I think that it, it was definitely a factor. Um, we the, the good news is when whenever you're in a tournament setting, and you're in the winner's side of the bracket, meaning someone has to beat you twice. What you want if you happen to lose the first game, so game six in this Oxford Regional, I'm talking from Ole Miss's perspective. If Ole Miss were to have lost that first game in a really tight battle that was very mentally stressful, physically stressful, things of that nature, the the winning team in our case, if it had been that way, it's sometimes hard to bounce back right after that in a game seven when you're fighting out of the loser's bracket. But having been up 10 to nothing at one point in that game and winning that game 15 to 5, there wasn't a lot of mental or physical stress on our guys or on our coaches for that matter. And so I think it allowed us to carry a great deal of momentum into that final championship game, winner take all set game seven.
1: Your team was very confident all season long before that regional Travis Moss had told the media that not only would they win that regional, they would go to Omaha and that they were the best team in the country. What did you think when you heard that for the first time?
3: Uh, Joe, name <laughs> <laughs> like, it. Joe, name man. Now uh, Travis is, is an incredible young man and, and uh, he's been injured a little bit in pro ball. So he hasn't gotten a chance to move up the ladder, but he will uh, when he's healthy. And you know, the thing about, The thing about Travis Moss is, you know, from the outside, no one would know what I'm about to say. He is one of the nicest, most humble young men that you'll ever come across. But he had great belief in himself and great belief in that team and his teammates throughout his entire time at Tennessee Tech. And so, you know, it was just one of those things he's been taught through our system that when you put goals out there, when you say things out loud, they're more likely to happen. So we didn't teach our guys to say that. We didn't say, hey, make sure you tell everyone we're going Omaha. Hey, make sure you tell everyone we're winning this thing. Like, But it's something that we do teach. And he just so happened to say, hey, listen, I've been taught this over my four years. When you say things, they happen more often. So I'm going to tell the world or anyone that will listen right now that this is what we're going to do. And, and you know what? I'm proud of him for it. And, and Moss, for the most part, can really, really back it up. And that's key.
2: Ben McDonald, the free SPN, was on the call that day and he noted early in the game a couple of times that he felt like Ole Miss came out tight. And I guess you can understand that from an outsider perspective, you know, home regional getting pushed to that final game. But was that something that you and your staff and your players could sense as the game went on that, Hey, we've got an opportunity here because these guys are they're they're a little bit wound tight right now.
3: There is no doubt about it. I mean, I mean, that team, um, honestly, um, for a long time, we played that card at Tennessee Tech. Hey, no one believes in us except the people in this clubhouse. You know, hey, let's go show the world, you know, the world against us, that mentality. And so our, our guys had that mentality going in that, hey, everyone thinks Ole Miss is going to win. Um, let's go show them. That's how we are. Blue collar tough. Let's go do this. We'll prove them all wrong. And Ole Miss, on the other hand, yeah, I, I do think in that scenario – there is some tightness there because, number one, they're playing, I mean, quite honestly, even though we at Tennessee Tech have been good for a long time. I mean, the past 11 years that I was there, we were the second winningest program out of nine Division One schools in the state of Tennessee over the, over the period of 11 years. That's a good program. That's not just a one-year wonder. That is a good program. However, it's still, let's say it what it is. It's still a quote-unquote smaller school, mid-major, quote-unquote no-name type program. But And then you've got the Ole Miss program out of the SEC that expected to win the out of the greatest conference in America. There is no doubt there was pressure on them, especially knowing that they're playing a quote-unquote mid-major school that should not, via the name, be able to beat us. But yet, whoa! Hold on, these guys are really, really good.
1: The the game there for for the first few several innings, I guess, was was pretty tightly pitched. Uh, some guys got worked out, some grand jams, but no one gets on the board for the first five innings. And then the sixth, Ole Miss finally breaks through. Greg Kessinger hits the home run, uh, and, and they add another run. But you know, the they could they had a chance to add even more, which you know might have broken the game open but they don't you make some moves out of the bullpen and moss gets you out of that bases loaded jam just what what are you thinking when when you do get out of that sixth inning and and it's still just a two-run deficit
3: let's go we got a chance now listen the the jordan what was jordan the 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 lefty they were throwing really good jordan fowler yeah fowler really really good and and very impressed and so as a coach you feel that You're like, hold on now. Offensively, we're not doing a whole lot, and we have a very good offensive team. Um, Let's keep grinding. Let's hang in there, and and let's do it. Matter of fact, we pulled out every stop we could. He had pitched maybe the second, third. If you go back and watch, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth inning, I think is when we finally got to I think Putzig, you said, hit the home run. It was either the sixth or seventh. And, um, And he had had his shirt untucked on the left side. It was untucked. And we were like, you know what? Who knows? It had been untucked for like the previous five innings. We're like, maybe it's a superstition, you know? And he was going so good. Let's see if we can cause some type of mental lapse. So we told the umpire, we said, hey, is there any way we could have him tuck his shirt in? Young man, tuck his shirt in. And it might have been complete, like just happenstance. Might have nothing to do with it. But I believe he walks maybe Chase Chambers, a really good four-hole hitter, the very next hitter that he faces after he tucks his shirt in. And then the first pitch to Putzik, Putzik gets out for a two-run homer. And then I think his day was over. And so we were doing everything we can. without. We weren't trying to be jerks. I don't mean it that way at all. But we were doing everything we could to say, hey, maybe it's a superstition and maybe we can get it out of that rhythm or whatever to – be able to beat and compete against a guy who was really, really good that day. And thank goodness for Putzig, he hit that ball well. And he was doing it with a hamstring that later had to have surgery.
2: So you mentioned that Putzig homer, that's, that's a good segue there. I mean, that ball, uh, he knew he, he had gotten it when he put that <laughs> swing on it. You can tell from the bat flip and, and his uh, his trot there. From the dugout, did you know he got all of it once it came off the No, bat? no.
3: And, and matter of fact, If you go back and watch that game, their left fielder didn't look like he thought he got it all originally. And so, no, I did not. And then that thing kept—it had legs. It just kept going and going and going. And uh, I was very relieved. I thought at that point, and you guys will understand this, the pressure went back to them. When we're down two to nothing, pressure's on us. We're losing. We had to get pressure back on them. And when he hit that home run, it—it definitely mounted a little bit.
2: You moved on it later in the game. You moved on to Osborne, brought him in from the outfield to pitch. I mean, thinking back on that day, did, was there a plan beyond Osborne, or were you just kind of, hey, let's just let's ride him and see what happens, wherever we end up?
3: Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question. As a matter of fact, going into that game, we weren't 100. When we went back to the hotel after the previous game, game six, um, we were we were talking who we were going to start, who we were going to start even. Um, and then Devin Lancaster ended up being that guy, did a great job, a little bit below the ramming speed that day. He was 82, 83 miles per hour, um, just getting them out front, um, that type of thing. And then to finish the game, one thing Osborne can do, and we knew this, is he competes like crazy, and he's really got electric stuff if he's in the zone. And it just so happened he was in the zone. They were a little overly aggressive. He's got a very good sharp breaking ball that was really working that day and he was fired up man their crowd had been riding him all weekend out in right field what a great atmosphere but they were riding him all weekend out in right field and he was thriving on that and so there was no doubt in my mind that we're gonna ride this guy it's kind of one of those things and you guys will get this he was not one of our best guys all year heck his era might have been like nine like eight seven something like that but he was a guy that at that point in time, we were going to ride because we felt like he was our best opportunity. So we're going to we're going to live or die with him. And sure enough, old Ozzy Osborne uh, did what we believed he could do.
1: So you uh, you have him out there, you know, nursing this one run lead that you have on a, on a sack fly. How nervy were you in, in the dugout or, or was the dugout pretty calm at that point?
3: You know, it's 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 interesting. So when I was at Tennessee Tech, I um, coached the offense from the dugout and called the pitches from the dugout. So the great thing about that is is as a coach, when you're that busy, you don't really have time to be nerve like like you're locked in. You're trying to think ahead. What can we do to get this guy out? And then and then you know the day the young man has to execute. Um, and if they execute, quite honestly, pitch calling is really easy. And when guys don't execute. Pitch calling is awful, but but I was a little bit too busy to be real, real nervous, but I'd be lying to you if I think they got a base runner, we walked a guy in the ninth. Uh, there were definitely some butterflies, and our dugout, quite frankly, stayed quite loose. Um, it was a great group that way. They enjoyed the game. They loved one another. One of the tightest teams I've ever been on. One of the best internal player leadership teams I've ever been around. Um, and so they actually were fairly loose from what I could tell. But deep down, my uh, my um I was definitely uh, nervous around the pitch calling.
1: So you get the final out there and, and then you know they go out and and they're dogpiling and and just what are you thinking in in that moment at you know having advanced to super regionals?
3: Uh, unbelievable. I remember when it was all done. when everyone was off the field and they had left. I had already gone in and done the interview. Um, post-game interview um, I came back out and sat in the dugout and just like I can't say surreal because we expected it to happen but it was a really unique time for me I was all by myself on that field sitting in the corner of the dugout and I I took in every second I could of that moment and, and remembering what happened and you know right after the game was actually the question you asked I was jubilant. Those young men had worked so hard, and a lot of people overlooked the Ohio Valley Conference, and it's a really good league, very underrated league. And so I was just so happy for our young men that had worked so hard. Those guys had been together, a lot of those guys, for four years, some of them three years, what have you. But they, that was a great, special group, and, and I definitely soaked that in. I'll ne- it's time I'll never forget.
2: How special is it? You, you obviously had your, your your father on staff with you. I imagine that has to be kind of a special moment to be able to, you know, rather than having to go up into the stands or, you know, or even if he is up there, you know, having to wait to have that moment with him. You kind of have that moment with him right away. And and I imagine just being able to have that with someone who was a part of that program and, and your father had to be pretty special.
3: It is special. You know, I'm, I'm totally blessed, guys. Um, I hired my dad. I don't know. It's been I don't know. 13 years ago now at this point, and 14 years ago, maybe like my third year at Tennessee Tech. And I had, I had no full-time assistants my first 10 years or 11 years at Tennessee Tech. And so I, I hired him to come down, I needed help, like consistent help, It he wouldn't leave every year. So that's kind of how that thing got started. He served every role for me that you can imagine, from recruiting coordinator, to assistant coach, to volunteer assistant, to director of operations, to player personnel, you know, whatever, personal development, whatever it might be. And the role has lessened over the years as he's gotten older. But, yes, to answer your question, what an amazing moment for a son to be able to have his dad right there to embrace and give a hug and say, hey, I love you, Dad, and, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for everything. Because he's been an incredible role model for me my entire life.
2: You mentioned kind of getting to the end of the season and expecting – uh, your team to be able to do this kind of thing. But I'm curious if there was a point where it really set in for, for you and, and your staff that, hey, this is a team that not just OVC championship good, but but maybe a team that could really make it deeper on the postseason. You know, it's,
3: it's it's so funny. We we had played West Virginia early in the year at our place on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And we were coming off the weekend and, and even the week before. I think maybe we were sitting – they have to look back. But we were like 8-4. and four. So think about that. We went 51 and 10 or so. I forget what we went, but 51 and 11, 53 and 11, 53 and 11 or something, 53 and 12. But at one point, I think we were like 8 and 4, 6 and 3. And I told our team before we get played West Virginia on that Tuesday, I go, guys, like, we are great. We are better than 6 and 3, 8 and 4, whatever it is. Today is the day. That we begin to go out and play the way this team is capable of playing. And doggone sure enough guys. And it wasn't because of my pep talk. I don't mean it that way. Listen. Those guys got to go do their thing man. It was because that group was. That's a special group of young men. That I dearly love. And they trusted me and our coaching staff. And they trusted and loved each other. And they went on a 28 game win streak. That day. And. That is when, in the midst of that 28-game win streak, we were playing Eastern Illinois on a Sunday. Maybe about 15, 17, 18 games into that win streak, and we were getting beat like nine nothing in the fifth inning. And we were, our guys were finally were like, hey, we're just gonna have fun. Let's go. Let's have fun. Who cares about the streak? Let's. They came, they scored like 25 runs in the last four innings of that game. We won 25 to 10, whatever it was. And that's when you're like, as a coach, you're like, man, this group is. Extraordinary. Like, and so those are some defining moments for me. When the streak began, then that Eastern Illinois weekend, and then even as the streak went into games number 25, 6, 7, and 8, because there was pressure with that. We wanted the national record of 40 or 38, whatever it is, we wanted that record. And so every game the mount the pressure mounted, but that ended up being very good for us because that pressure was real, like you face in a postseason.
1: So you guys embraced the streak as, as much as you could, but did did you like develop any any uh you know superstitions or, or habits during during the streak?
3: <laughs> I am a hundred percent certain, you know, to honestly pinpoint it, I don't know that I can go back and pinpoint, but there is no doubt. Like I, I know like uniforms, um, what what pants we were wearing that day. You know, socks up, socks down. But if it was like this for that guy, it's got to stay that way. Um, so it it was a it was a unique time, and, and yes, there were definitely superstitions and and things. And it was really fun, guys, because at Tennessee Tech we didn't draw great. And but as that streak went, that that guy gone, they couldn't hold him in 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 our uh, in our facility. But it's so funny, the day the streak ended. So after 28 wins, game number 29, by g- game 30, the very next day, the stands were back like they were when the streak started. Like, like You're like, what? Come on, people. Like, you know, let's go, you know. So but it was it was fun. And again, something I will never forget. And none of those players will.
2: You mentioned being more than just kind of a one-year success story in your program, and I actually wanted to ask you a little about that through the lens of, you know, you get into a regional the year prior, you go to Tallahassee, you win a game down there. I mean, how much – and I know winning just a game there was was probably not what you guys were looking for, but still, I mean, how much of a springboard was that going into 2018, a little bit of proof of the concept of of what you guys were looking to accomplish?
3: Oh, you're right on. No no question about it. It it let our guys know that, hey – we can compete and beat anybody in the country if we play good baseball. And the majority of that team was coming back for 2018 season. So that was a huge stepping stone for our program in terms of guys like, hey, whoa, hold on, man. Matter of fact, the first game we lost after we beat Florida State on opening night, we lost to Casey Mize and Auburn the next day. And I think it was a 5-3 to three game. And, our guys, listen, we stood in really good against Casey. We a couple home runs. Um, don't get me wrong. He was special. We all know that. But, but it, again, it gave our guys this offseason energy, kind of like you think of college football and bowl games. You know how you look at that as a springboard, as you mentioned that word to your next season? That, there's no doubt that was a springboard.
1: The when, when you look back at these teams, there are a lot of really, really good players on them. But I, I just wanted to mention Kevin Stroshine here. I, I know he didn't have a great postseason in 18. But when we look at great OBC players of all time, I mean, he's certainly going to be very high on that list. And I, when, when, now that his career is over, um, what what do you look at from, from Kevin and, and, and what do you remember from your time coaching him?
3: Oh my goodness. Wow. You know what I think? I think he was three time OVC player of the year and I just uh, incredible, like incredible hitter, incredible young man, um, actually an incredible outfielder. People don't give him credit out there. He hurt his arm his senior year. Listen guys, uh, he DH, I'm sorry, his junior year in 2018, he DH that year because he had a tour uh, UCL. And so he needed Tommy John surgery when the season was over. So he played that season with a tour UCL, still did what he did as a DH, um, was just awesome. And, you know, the thing about it was he was pitching. We had him pitching early in that year. We tried him on the mound because his arm was that special, and that's actually how he tore his UCL. But he was up to 94. I mean, we're talking a special player that, yes, his postseason wasn't the best, but that young man could play anywhere in the country and hit three or four hole for just about anybody in the country. And what a great player, great young man, great student.
2: How much did, did you and your team in, in that season really uh, look to carry the banner for the OVC? Because I think there's sometimes a little bit of a negative connotation about the OVC. Oh, it's an offensive league, no pitching, you know, s- some smaller ballparks, they use a different ball. There's all these reasons why, you know, OVC, OVC teams might be in the minds of some, not not up to that standard. So how much of a, a of a, a bragging point was that for you guys to carry that banner for the OBC and show that, as you've mentioned, it's a better league than people realize.
3: Well, there is no doubt. It, and it, go, it goes back to, like, hey, let's show these people, so to say. You're like a chip on our shoulder. And that's who I am. Like, like if we're playing ping pong, that's how I play ping pong. If we're playing uh, whatever, if we're running, I, I will beat you. I'll find a way to find a way to beat you. And, and so – our guys had that mentality. like, Oh, we'll show you. You think it's the balls? We'll show you it's not the balls. You think it's the stadiums? We'll show you it's not. You think it's the opposition? We'll show you it's not the opposition. So it was important. I think the entire OVC feels the same way. Like, that is, that is a very... I, I say to this day, my entire time in the Ohio Valley Conference, I totally respected that league and how good that league was. I mean, think about it. 2018... Um, Moorhead State, I'm trying to think, they beat us. We played them six times. They beat us three. Out of our 12 losses, they were three of them. Like, listen, uh, West Virginia didn't beat us. Like, Texas was the only other team to beat us twice. That's it. And and Moorhead beat us three times. It it was a very underrated league. And, man, I was proud as a coach, and our players were proud, absolutely, to carry – high value conference banner because that conference deserves more than it gets.
1: Well it's uh, it was fun for us to go back and, and watch this game. I mean, it was um, you know fun to, to go back and, and revisit uh, you know the, the super regional a little bit on my own because I, I of course um, you know was covering the you guys in, in that Austin super but when you go back and think about the the 2018 team you're just kind of what's the enduring memory uh, of that group for you?
3: That Great question. The love that that, those boys had for each other and then the love that us as coaches had for them. It's just, it's remarkable. I mean, it's remarkable. I keep up with all our past players pretty darn well. That group is the easiest group ever to keep up with because they'll, even though I'm not a huge social media guy, they will absolutely, hey coach, I love you. Like you're just out of the book or another guy sends a picture of their newborn son and said, Hey, here's your first 2038 recruit coach. I mean, it's just on and on with that group. The love was the separator. No doubt. They bought in. We, we bought into them. We loved them and they loved us and they most importantly, they loved each other. I'll never forget that. That will go on forever. That, that is just a special, special group. I mean, the way they treat my family, just awesome off the charts, incredible young men, I cannot brag about those guys enough.
1: Well, that, that's awesome to hear. You know, and I know the family is a big part of your program. We talked about your father, but but your son is around the, the team a lot. And so that that's, uh, you know, just to have that kind of culture, I guess, is what, you know, every coach is, is striving for out there.
3: Yes, no doubt.
1: Well, it was a lot of fun going back and, and reliving this with you, Coach. And we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the, the Baseball America College podcast.
3: Oh, man, I can't tell you guys how excited I was to be asked. So thank you so much for asking me. You guys are awesome. Baseball America is awesome. And you guys do a phenomenal job. So thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Thank you again to Matt Braga for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Love talking to Coach Braga at all times, always. I, I, I very much enjoy it. And not just because he's a fellow Northeast Ohioan, though that does not hurt. Before we hit record, uh, we did get a little bit of Browns talk in. Uh, sorry, Joe, that you had to be subjected uh, to that Browns talk. It is obligatory when uh, when I talk with Coach Braga. Uh, but, it, you know, that – that game, you can tell, it, you know, it really means a lot to him still in that season uh, and that team and, and those players. It, you know, it, w- like we mentioned before the interview started, it, it was it was a special team and it was a lot of fun to look back at that. I mean, what, what did you get from, uh, you know, what, what kind of sense of that did, did you get uh, f- from talking with Coach Bragg and Joe?
2: Yeah, it was just um, confirmation of what I kind of already suspected about this team, the closeness of it, um, the way they operated with a lot of confidence. Um, you know, the, the, the Travis moths quote was yes. not just a, was not just like a, a cocky moment where, where a kid, and even in that moment, I think most people understood, like, he's not trying to be a jerk about this. He's just trying to kind of say, Hey, look, we're, you know, we're in this, we're not just some plucky underdog. Like we can get this done. Um, but the way he was able to describe, like, well, he said that because we believe that and we believe in kind of just speaking things into being. And, um, so it was kind of cool to hear all that get talked about. I think it was, seemed like a perfect combination of a team that was, knew they were good. They were all business about what they were, what they were doing at the same time was the perfect amount of loose. I mean, I, I, one of my takeaways from the game that I, I I do not remember this, but from my first watch, uh, you know, two years ago, whatever it was, um, in that with, with two outs in the ninth inning, Tennessee tech is about to punch a ticket to the super regionals. They catch two players in the dugout. And I'm not sure who they are doing some sort of slap fight, you know, um, where they're, they're literal pitches away from dogpiling to go to a super (laughs) regional. And there are two players just doing a playful slap fight in the dugout. And I just, I can imagine I would have been on the bench like in the fetal position or something like I would be so nervous. And that's one of the millions of reasons why I was not a division one athlete, but you know, that a team that a team that's tight and a team that's doesn't believe they should be there. Wouldn't be able to have those moments of levity so late in that game, but that's just who this team was. And it, it came through and everything they did, whether it was that, or, you know, we talked about the, the extra long home run trot from putzig after that, two-run home run where, you know, a bat flip and a a slow trot and the championship belt after the home run. I mean, everything this team did just oozed confidence and oozed togetherness and knew that they belonged on that stage.
1: Yeah, I I really liked what uh, Coach Braga had to say about that Moss quote that, you know, they were, that that was just something they were used to being told to do, that, you know, they didn't tell them go out there and, and make guarantees or anything. But, You know, speak things into existence, speak your goals, let let everyone know what your goals are. And obviously that team really accomplished a lot of their goals. I'm sure that they had at least make it to Omaha, if not do more than that uh, on their goal sheet, and they didn't end up with that one. And they also probably had win the OVC tournament on their goal sheet, didn't end up with that one either. But, you know, they went further than any OVC team has ever gone. And, you know, let's be honest, probably further than any OVC team will ever go again. Uh, you know, I know that, that Joe really believes in Jacksonville State's potential going forward, especially with that new ballpark down there. But, you know, it's a super regional like that was it was a super regional with more than 50 wins. That is just an incredible season for any team and, and especially for a team from that conference. And, uh, you know, you go back and, and you look at some of the names and, you know, Chase Chambers, All-American, Kevin Stroshine, All-American, and, you know, some of those pitchers, Moths and um, you know, especially, but but several of those arms were, were really legit good, and uh, you know Alex Jr. was a really good player, and, and, and Putzig, you know, in the middle of the lineup behind Chambers and Strasheim uh, was was really good, and I, it was it was a really impressive team, and you know for them to put that together in Cookville, Tennessee, I mean that's a, that's you know that's a really great job that that they were able to do, and and, and credit to the players there for you know, believing in their potential and doing what they needed to do to to achieve that potential because, you know, you know there there weren't a whole lot of people coming into the season, you know, even after they'd done what they, what they did the year before, like, okay, yeah, you might be OVC favorites, but, you know, that was really nice what you did last year, not now go try and do that again. No one was thinking 28-game winning streak or, or 50 wins or, or super regional for, for a team at, at that level. And, uh, you know, they really... That they really surpassed anyone's expectations. I don't know about their own expectations. I'm sure they felt like they could do a lot of things. But but definitely credit to them for going out and proving that that they could, you know, and, and that those of us that that thought, you know, they were just going to be another good OVC team, you know, that that, that we were wrong. And um, you know, the the way that season unfolded with the the 28 game winning streak and they just kept winning and winning and winning and, and they were winning by these huge scores. And it was a little hard to, to get a feel for what was how good they really were at first. But, you know, at some point that the, the wins just kept piling up and it became very clear that no, this team was legit good and that these players were, were legit good too. And, and, you know, the, they really backed that up on, on some big stages, both there in Oxford and, uh, and later in Austin when they won game one of the Super Regional it then got bounced, uh, you know, losing the next two. But, you know, they they really showed what they were made of in June on on the biggest stages, you know, of the NCAA
2: tournament. Yeah, they. I mean, you look at the schedule. When you when you go back to 2018, I just pulled up their, their 2018 schedule, and it's the number of games. If I'd have thought about this a couple minutes earlier, maybe I would have gone through and counted, but they – the number of games they had here, where they put up double-digit runs, is, is just absurd, quite frankly. I mean, I mean, some of those are losses, where like you know, Sunday game, like the Sunday game at Troy, 13-12 loss. But for the most part, their wins. And actually, it's funny when I look back at this. I uh, I remember, so they, they beat Illinois State on Saturday, February twenty-fourth, twenty 2018, 30 to 17. And I actually remember that game because the, I'm clicking on the box score here, which this is really compelling audio as it always is. <laughs> <laughs> they hit. I'm going to count now. So first of all, Illinois State hit four home runs, which in any by most measures like that's a big game from them from from any team. But then Tennessee Tech hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven home runs, three each from Trevor Putzig and Kevin Stroshine, and they won the game 30 to 17 with innings of seven, five, eight, four, and four runs. Um, just I mean. I, I don't even know exactly how to i am almost speechless by that because I, I I can't believe I'd forgotten that game, but I was very aware of that game as it was happening, and that was my first kind of i guess introduction to this particular team and it's probably what tipped me off a little bit to like, oh okay, this team might be might be something here so um but yeah, just uh, the, the 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 numbers here were got they, they mentioned it on the broadcast, I mean. <laughs> going into the game it was like 135 home runs or something like that which was 30 some odd more than the next highest team in the country which is insane um you know every once in a while you'll get a team that kind of runs away with the home run title but not by 30 home runs uh they were they were just on on another level there for sure
1: yeah the uh I, i i remember that they broke the uh you know their their program home run record something like crazy early like it was it was in early may i think it was that they they snapped the the program's home run record and then they just kept hitting homers and and the the thing about watching that team is just about everyone in the ball or in in the lineup could go yard and you know the 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 depth of the lineup was was impressive and it was it was real like honest to god depth it wasn't just that you know they just had some sluggers at the bottom that might run into some at times like no there were there were good hitters that could hit home runs and you know it was uh it was a very deep lineup uh, but you know one thing that that strikes you from watching this game you know if we watched the previous game if we'd watched the game 6-15 to 5 game i think we would have been more impressed with the depth of their lineup this game didn't really showcase it this one showcased their the depth of their pitching staff and Uh, you know, that's not what OVC teams are are known for. That's not what this Tennessee tech team is going to be remembered for either. I don't think, but, uh, you know, it was a very real part of why they were able to do what they did and and go where they went because they had all these arms and, you know, we didn't even see some of the best of them because, you know, it's game seven of a regional there, uh, you know, by, by Monday, you're generally running near the bottom of the barrel, especially if you're, um, you know, a a mid-major team like this. So just the number of ways that they could win games, very impressive. And and that was one thing that that stood out throughout the streak. I mean, for all the gaudy uh, home run numbers and, and, and gaudy run numbers that they did have to win some games in, in different ways and they had to do it in this regional final. And I know, Joe, that's one of the reasons why you like this game because it wasn't one where it was a slugfest and Tennessee tech just came out on top. It was one where they had to do it uh, a different way than, than what you would expect.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that was, you know, they, they were able to win that way. I mean, the the headline is obviously, the offensive prowess but but the pitching was was right there too um and then that's that's kind of what gets them gets them through here for sure Uh, there was one moment in the um you know you mentioned it in the the, it was a good question you asked in in the interview with coach Braga about you know getting out of that sixth inning and with moths there and I think um so I made a note that as I was watching it yesterday that if you had paused the game After Ole Miss scores that second run, and I still think they have guys on like first and third, and you pause it and say, okay, what's the final score going to be? Like, I think in my heart of hearts, I would have been like, "Uh, Ole Miss wins this thing eight to two. And I think in most times in that type of situation, Cinderella team just about running on fumes, you know, more talented team that hasn't quite put it together, but probably has more in the tank. They're at home. They have some momentum. What happens here? That's probably what happens more often than not. And this Tennessee Tech team was able to get out of that jam, bounce right back, um, and and win the game. And that was, to me, that's another mark of a team that really believed. Because I I do think more often than not, Cinderella team folds right there, and then that's all she wrote.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely right. And then I think it was huge for them to be able to score in the next inning. And they'd been knocking at the door. Jordan Fowler dealt with some traffic on the bases. Uh, early in the game, but was able to keep Tennessee Tech off the board. They're not able to keep Tennessee Tech off the board finally in the sixth. And for them to instantly recapture the momentum, uh, really silence the crowd there, get everyone at Swayze nervous again, I think that was massive. So there are the two things there. There's Moss getting them out of there, still only down two nothing, and then there's the the instant response. If either one of those things doesn't happen, I, I don't know that Tennessee Tech has it in them, but the, those two things taken together, uh, you know, put them back in, in, you know the the I don't want to say on the offensive necessarily, but they were they were back feeling okay about themselves, and you know Ole Miss ha- goes back to being a little tight about what's happening. You know, like Braga said, that the pressure is back on them at that point because it's tied again, and and they're the team that's supposed to be advancing. And that's one thing that gets talked about a lot, I feel like. But you know, I I haven't really had a chance to deep dive into or anything, but is the idea that you know regionals, yeah, being at home is great, and it's a it's a big advantage. But it's also there's a lot of pressure on on everyone. And you know, you're at home, you're the big school, you're the one that's supposed to win. And, you know, that that's not an easy place to be in mentally. And I don't know that that, you know, that's not the entire reason why Ole Miss lost here. You know, that let's make that clear. But if they were playing tight that day, I mean, you know, that's a that's a real detriment. And and that's, you know, that's something that a lot of hosts struggle with, uh, especially when they're a little younger. Uh, and, And that Ole Miss team was a little younger. A lot of those players were sophomores. And, you know, maybe maybe that played a, a role that day because this Tennessee Tech team was was a lot older and did have the experience from that 2017 regional in Tallahassee like we talked about.
2: Yeah, no, I, th- I think that definitely plays a plays a role there. And it, you, could, I mean, you could really feel the you could you could see Ole Miss a little bit tight because there wasn't really anything special, um, you know, that, that Tennessee Tech was doing on the mound early on. You know, their guy was. You know, like, like Coach Braga said, low 80s with his fastball. He wasn't really blowing anybody away. He wasn't really tricking anybody. It was just a lot of pop-ups and lazy fly balls um, early on. And the other thing was that there were a couple of moments where you felt like Ole Miss was early in the game, like was just begging – Their their crowd was really begging to kind of grab that momentum and they would get loud. I mean there was the moment where Fowler gets out of a jam in the bottom of the second – then he gets out of another, not, not so much jam, but there was a guy on in the third and, and Kessinger makes a diving play uh, and throws a guy out in that inning. So the crowd's up on their feet. They start off the next half inning still on their feet. And then there's a quick out the next half inning on a routine ground ball to short. And suddenly the crowd goes back to being quiet. And so Tennessee tech did a really good job. And obviously this comes with just doing the right things and, and getting outs and, and putting pressure on, on the, on the, the pitching staff and defense, but they did a really good job of, never really letting the crowd have any sort of momentum with that. I mean, there were, there were moments where it felt like the crowd was trying to get into it, but it would immediately get squashed and then go back to, to use the phrase you just used. The crowd would immediately go back to getting palpably nervous is really the only way I can put it.
1: So the other thing that really strikes me while I'm watching this game is the other drama that's unfolding and that has nothing to do with Tennessee tech. And so we didn't talk about it with, with coach Braga, but the draft is happening and the draft is happening basically the entire time that this game is going on. And again, because there was rain in Oxford that weekend, like this game was not supposed to be held at night. It was supposed to be a day game. Everything got pushed back by one time slot effectively. So because of that, the draft is happening And Ryan Rolison, Ole Miss's ace that year is a projected first round pick. And you know, so early on in the game, the the broadcasters mentioned like, oh, Casey is number one pick, and then you know, oh, Joey Bart, number two pick. And at that point, I wondered like, are they going to announce every pick live while this game is happening? And they stopped. But you know, eventually, you know, they they, they the camera keeps finding Ryan Rolison. They have agreed uh, or, or set up an interview with Ryan Rolison as soon as he you know gets picked. Basically, he's going to come on the broadcast and talk about being picked. So. The way this this drama, these dual dramas, like play out, you know, Rollison goes 22nd overall to the Rockies, and that happens just about as this game is reaching like the business end, and you know, there's a lot of like, oh, Ryan Rollison like clearly just got a text and like now he's going down the tunnel and now we're getting word that he got drafted and he's about to join us, and like meanwhile, uh, Tennessee Tech is like taking the lead. And it's just this very surreal uh, situation. And, you know, I was watching... I was in Gainesville while this was happening, watching the, the Gainesville Regional in Florida, um, playing Florida Atlantic. And, you know, it, the, the same things were happening there. Jonathan India got drafted while that game was happening. And, um, you know, he got picked while he was... Uh, it, it was in between innings. He was taking... You know, ground balls warming up between innings when he got drafted fifth overall. And uh, Brady Singer and Jackson Coar, neither of them are pitching that day, but both got drafted during the game. And Tyler Frank for FAU is a second-round pick and gets drafted while he's on the field playing his ultimately last college game. It was a terrible night, ultimately, I, I felt like, for, for all of that. That was the first time I'd seen it up close in person that – you know, what the, the draft going on while games are being played, like what that looks like to to everyone on the field in the stadium, like what that means for the kids, what it what it means they missed out on. And, you know, that it was it was not good. Before that I'd been a little less uh you know, I, I didn't think it was good that the draft was happening while games were, were being played, but I was a little more of the mind, like, well what are they supposed to do? You know? Like, but now uh, you know, that that really completely flipped it for me. And I'm now very much like against that, like virulently so that 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 should not be allowed to happen. You're robbing kids of, of this moment um, more more than anything else. I, you know, it doesn't really bother me on on any level beyond that. You know, that that's enough for me that. The, these kids work so hard for both of these moments, both the, the moment to advance to super regionals and the moment to get drafted. And and you're robbing them of enjoyment of, of both of them effectively by uh, by yeah. holding the draft during during the same time. And, you know, obviously that's not going to happen this year. It wasn't supposed to happen this year anyway. They had finally come to an agreement between the NCAA and, and Major League Baseball. But uh, that, that was something that, that I couldn't help but, but noticing and, and, and how strange that was. Um, you know, especially given the, the exact circumstances involved in this and the fact that, you know, Rollison's not in this game. You know, he pitched earlier in the weekend and he's done. You know, he's, you know, he's there on the bench encouraging his teammates and everything, but, but he's not actively participating. And no, he knows he won't be actively participating. Um, but, you know, it's still just a very surreal scene that, that that's happening there. Um, Joe, what are, what are your thoughts on on that whole, you know, dual nature of of this uh of this drama
2: yeah mostly i would have loved to have been in that production truck when they had to start if, if this if the game had moved just slightly faster or if rollison had gone like half a dozen picks later like i would have loved to have been in the production truck where they're debating like okay there's one out in the ninth inning here like what do we do do we do we still do this do we leave it like I just, that would have been a really interesting debate to I'm sure stressful for everyone involved in the production side of that, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it, it was awkward. Um, and I think that was the year really that conversation, there, there were particularly bad optics that year. Um, and per, there was just a group of players who were all playing. You mentioned the, the Florida kids in, in and Rollison at Ole Miss. And I think there was just a, enough high profile players that season who were still playing that night that it, kind of brought the conversation forward more than it had I mean it had definitely been talked about before but not maybe I'm just a little bit of a prisoner of the moment again having seen it again the other night but but I do seem to remember it really moved that conversation forward a lot and probably has a lot to do with with what we have now which is I guess although it got disrupted this year obviously but but an idea that moving forward the draft will not take place during that period of time but it was it was weird times for sure and definitely can look at look back at it now and uh, maybe not laugh necessarily, but look at it now and just marvel at maybe this is the type of thing we look back at some point and marvel at just how ridiculous it was that we actually thought that this was an OK thing to do uh, for as long as as long as they allow we're allowed to do it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, either that or it was my column uh, about how ridiculous it was. One one of those two events, probably. You know what? I, pushed, I forgot that, that was actually
2: that was it. For, yeah. I've actually many people are saying that that was actually <laughs> what pushed it over the top
1: but i mean like i said it, that was that was the year that pushed it over for me like you know at the time and, and i think a lot of people viewed it this way in 15 when dansby swanson got drafted first overall and you know there's all those you know great you know video and, and stills of of dansby and and his teammates looking at a phone to see him get drafted first overall right after they've advanced to omaha like that was kind like that felt kind of cool but like, if you actually stopped and thought about it for like, I don't know, five minutes, um, ten minutes longer than I stopped to think about it, that's for sure. Uh, but if that game just to your like, like you're talking about with Rawson, if it just goes a little slower, Dansby Swanson gets drafted while he's stand first overall while he's standing at shortstop, and you know that is in no way good for anyone, and. I think there was a little bit of like, ah, you know, whatever. That's kind of the way it's always happened. Like Pat Burrell got drafted first overall while he was standing on deck in Omaha. Uh, you know, that that's a real thing that really happened in the 90s. And both Pat Burrell going first overall and him being on deck uh, in Omaha, uh, shouts to Pat Burrell. But that just was the way it had been. And so I think a lot of people had kind of gotten used to that. But, you know, when you pull back a little bit and – It gets magnified the way it did that night in 18 because no one was supposed to be playing that night. Every one of those games was supposed to be a day game that day, but there was enough rain around the country or mostly around the South and enough games, enough regionals got pushed to that game seven that it pushed so many players into that situation that I, that was definitely, I think a breaking point for a lot of people. Uh, I mentioned before we started the interview that I need to pull up my, my field of 64, my last one, where I had sent Tennessee Tech or where I was projecting Tennessee Tech was going to get sent, and so I finally did that, and I had Ole Miss as the number three overall seed, so almost got that one right. I had their number two as Southern Miss, and I had Tennessee Tech going to, to Clemson, uh, who I had as the number 10 overall seed, which, I mean, again, they aren't lining up two seeds but I feel like that would have been a much more appropriate placement for Tennessee tech to go play the number 10 overall seed rather than the number four overall seed that, you know, Tennessee tech had earned, Ole Miss earned not having to deal with something like that. Um, and you know, this is just one of the, the small issues or not, not so small, but one of the issues that, that arises, uh, with the way that the NCAA tournament is done, that they only see that the top 16 teams and that took them long enough to start seeding 16 as opposed to eight, that we get some of these uh, arrangements. And, you know, Tennessee Tech is uh, relatively close to, to Oxford. It's not that far of a bus ride. It's not that close either. But, uh, you know, that's, that's why they ended up there more than anything, I, w- I would guess. I mean, it's possible that, I'll go back and look at something and see the Tennessee tech was, was rated lower by the committee than I realized. But um, you know, I I think that's more of a true regional situation than anything else. And um, you know, I I just feel like that's, that's unfortunate. I know some people have different feelings about whether they want the sealed field fully seated or whether they would prefer regionals to be truer regionals. Uh, But, you know, I definitely fall on the the side of, of seating the full field and, avoiding situations where where high seeds that that did everything they did to earn that that number next to their name aren't then saddled with the best two seeds that the field has to offer.
2: Yeah, that was just a tough—I'd kind of forgotten until watching that broadcast and going back and looking at it, just how tough that regional— to your point was, and not just Tennessee tech at a two, but that was a Missouri state team that went 18 and three in the Missouri Valley conference, won 40 games by the time it was all said and done. And a St. Louis team as the four seed that ran away with the Atlantic 10. I saw a lot of that St. Louis team that year and they were far and away the winner of the Atlantic 10. I think they won that conference by several games so that was uh, just a really really raw <laughs> a raw deal is, is probably too strong because that implies that something was up but like just a tough draw for for Ole Miss there for sure it ends up um you know you could kind of game it out and you know they uh you know I, that was when Miller Hogan was pitching for St. Louis a name people might remember I mean they had a they had to face him to start it off and they had a tough winner's bracket game against Tennessee tech. And so all of that little death by a million cuts kind of adds up. And and certainly maybe that's, I just said, certainly maybe right after for those (laughs) who score at home, but you know, maybe has a little bit to do with by the time they get to game seven, they, they were pretty taxed more so than, than maybe some other hosts that are pushed to a a game seven. So just uh, to your point, a a tough draw overall.
1: Uh, Joe, to wrap this up uh, as someone that, that, has a soft spot, I guess, for the OVC, uh, you know, this being the best OVC team ever, just what, what are you remembering the, the 2018, uh, Tennessee tech
2: team for, or by? I think it was just the she. how see, I'm, I'm struggling just because it, and not, not because I don't have thoughts. It's just because it is really hard to put into words how, how good this team was and what it, what it all meant in the big picture. Just the numbers don't make sense to your brain. A 28-game winning streak in any conference, um, you know, is just hard to comprehend. And I guess there were third midweek games in there and whatnot, but it was mostly conference play. But 28 wins in a row, no matter who you're playing at the college level, is just absurd. The lineup having nothing, literally nothing but 300 hitters. Them having seven guys or whatever it was that hit 10 or more home runs. You know, they had guys on the bench. I mean, they brought in a defensive replacement a guy named Anthony Carrera late in that game. And, you know, he hit 345 in, in a bit roll, sure, but he hit 345. So the, the just the, the numbers, like, are beyond comprehension uh, for what you think is possible. And I, I, I just, I actually, the winning streak was notable enough. I can't remember where I was driving home from. I'd been at some series and was driving home from it. And they were playing the streak in it against Southeast Missouri State. And I, I remember when I got in the car after whatever Sunday game I was at, I made a point to try to find that game on some audio stream because I wanted to see if the streak would end. I mean, that's how notable it was. I mean, there's all these other Sunday games I could have listened to. And sure, like, I do have an affinity for for not only the mid-major level, but the OVC in particular. But So that's part of it, sure. But also just I think to a certain degree, a lot of people were – just kind of, if nothing else, curious about the team at that point. And so it was like appointment listening for me in that moment to listen to see if the streak was going to end. And sure enough, it actually did. Um, So I listened to that most all of that game on the the drive home there. So just just a team that uh, the the numbers don't make sense. I guess that's how I'll I'll bottom line it is you look at the numbers and they don't even really seem possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of that. Uh, with that team, you know, if you if you start looking at stat sheets, it was it was crazy. You know, one I think my enduring memory is going to be in, in the super regional, just seeing the team work out. I, I got there early enough um, that I was able to see workouts the day before the super started, and you know they were just so loose, and they had you know Braga has so much energy. And, you know, their practices are really upbeat. There's a lot of competition in them. And, you know, they were still doing all of that, you know, before the, the most important games of their season and of their lives. And, you know, that was, it, it, was a, it was a special team to be around. It was a fun team to be around. It was a team that had a lot of confidence. And, you know, I, again, I, I think all of that showed here uh, in the game that went when we were rewatching it. And, uh, you know, if you saw them, and at any point throughout that season, it was, it, it was, uh, a, a team of destiny, uh, sounds very cliche and it is, but it was, and you know, they, they definitely had that air around them at, at a lot of times. And I, uh, I did not realize that they were going to a super regional, but you know, I think they probably did. And, uh, you know, Travis Moth said as much and, and they wound up being right. And they wound up just falling one win shy of Omaha, which is, uh, you know, an, an incredible thing. You know, the, we, we definitely are going to remember Cinderella teams like Kent State and Stony Brook more because they, they did it. Uh, but you know, I, I don't think Tennessee tech should be lost just because Cody Clemens, uh, you know, was able to, uh, you know, they, they had the misfortune of facing Cody Clemens in a super, um, you know, he was, he was something of, of, of a destiny unto himself that year. And, and, and that Texas team had a lot of, a lot of that going on. It wasn't just Cody, but um, you know, that was uh, that was a really fun super to cover. This was a really fun regional final to, to go back and watch. So if you're looking to do so, uh, you can find it on YouTube. And Joe has a post on Baseball America, 10 great college baseball games that you can watch on YouTube. So you can, you can find it linked there. And we are about to uh, tell you guys what we're watching next week uh, so that you can uh, watch that one Ahead of next Friday's podcast, and Joe, why don't you tell the people what we've settled on?
2: We are going to be watching. We're going to get back in the Wayback Machine. We're going to go back to 1994. And we're going to take you back to a non-quarantine time in history. Uh, it's 1994. The uh, CWS final between Oklahoma and Georgia Tech. Um, it is interesting to me uh, because it is kind of a. It's kind of similar to Fullerton and, and USC, honestly. Now that I think about it, because USC was the more star-studded team, and some of that is because we have hindsight, and so we know that you know some of those guys USC had became what they became. Um, so some of that is, is true with Georgia Tech too, because this was a Georgia Tech team that had Jason Veritek and had Nomar Garcia and had Jay Payton on it, and Oklahoma was not that in terms of having those big names. And yet, uh, spoiler alert: Oklahoma wins a national title. So, hey, Russ Ortiz, um, man. That's true. Russell Ortiz was on that team, no doubt. I think they had a couple pictures. Mark Redmond maybe was Yes, on Mark Redman was on right? that team as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely some names. There, there was some talent there for sure. But uh, certainly none the quality of, of Nomar and, and Baratek for Georgia Tech is also first year for Danny Hall at Georgia Tech. Um, has to be um, – we were actually having this conversation offline with our friend Mike Rooney about coaches who took – teams to Omaha in year one and that's gotta be a pretty short list. Um and, and Danny Hall is, is one of them. So um looking forward to, to watching a couple teams that I, you know, um that I I don't know much about the game. I know what the score is. I know who wins, but I knew more about ninety-five Fullerton USC going in, I think mostly because I knew what Mark Kate was going to do. So I know less about this game. So I think I'm actually somewhat more excited to watch this one because I really can go in with a little bit more of a a blank slate of of expectation.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty blank slate for me. Obviously, uh, I'm not going to remember the 94 College World Series final. Uh, And uh, I know who wins, but I don't even, unlike Joe, I'm not even sure what the score was. So I'm excited to uh, to go in with as, as blank a slate as possible. Uh, while I think I know who we're talking with about this game with, who, who the guest will be next week, uh, that is not confirmed yet. So we will not share that at the time. But we uh, we I believe will be joined by a member of the 1994 Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, details on that TBD. But you will be able to find it on the Baseball America College Podcast next Friday. So make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. On your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts. And while you're there, please rate, please review, please subscribe. Uh, these help us. And and in some cases, I guess in the subscribe button, they, they also help you. But maybe saying nice things about someone would also help you in this time of self-isolation, uh, you know, spreading joy and love into the world, as it were.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I, uh, I certainly give that my full... My full endorsement uh it's a a, to to end on a little bit of a note of seriousness like it's obviously just been an anxiety and fear-filled time I think anybody um you know even glass half-full people myself included the last few weeks have struggled a little bit with um being unsure of of the world and a little bit anxious and sometimes a little bit scared and um, so yeah, be, uh, if, if it must be a, a review, uh, on Apple Podcasts for us and says nice things, that would be outstanding, but just in general, uh, put kindness and joy and happiness out there in the world. Cause I think we could all use it.
1: Yeah. I'm saying do it on Apple podcasts. Okay. That's the best way to
2: do it. I was trying to be like a little, Science I was trying to mas- told us that's the <laughs> best way to do it. I was trying to massage that a little bit, you know, <laughs> now that the sentiment was sincere. But you know, I was trying to like. But if you want to be a little more direct, I suppose we could take that route too.
1: It's a time for directness. It's a time for boldness. It's a time for positive Apple Podcast reviews for the Baseball America podcast. Uh, before we get out of here, Joe and I, if you're looking for for a laugh uh, in in these uncertain times, Joe and I put together a list of the best names. In college baseball, and I guess a laugh is, is the incorrect thing that you would be getting out of this list. Uh, a smile, I guess, is, is probably the way to go about it. Um, the the best li- the best names in college baseball, we've been doing this for the last few years. And if you've been, if you're familiar with this list uh, over the last few years, uh, you will be familiar with the way this one starts as well. It starts with Itchy Birds, Tennessee Tech, Corpus Christi, or Tennessee... Texas A&M Corpus Christi, got got a (laughs) lot of things going on there. Texas A&M Corpus Christi's Itchy Burtz, who is uh, not only does he have, you know, the best name in college baseball, one of the all-time great ones, he is also just a full-on good college baseball player and, you know, has has been an important piece for the Islanders for the last few years there. And and Joe spoke with Itchy. Um, This was something we had planned before everything happened. Uh, you know, in terms of cancellation and kids getting their eligibility back. We thought this was going to be Itchy's last season of college baseball, and it still might be. Uh, So we wanted to send Itchy out in style. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell them a little something about how Itchy came, came to be?
2: Yeah, I don't know what I expected him to tell me when I asked him where the name came from, but I certainly did not expect what he told me, which was, he said it was when he was six or seven years old, and one of his coaches, and this also made me feel old, by the way, that when he was six or seven years old, he was like, yeah, so Ichiro was new. And I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> um, <laughs> and one of his coaches uh, said that uh, his offensive style uh, reminded, reminded him of Ichiro. And so because he, he would do that thing like, like Ichiro or like you might see in softball, he'd kind of get like a little running start, if you will, out of the box and he would kind of slap the ball. And uh, so his nickname started off as Ichi, just I C H I, and it just kind of became Ichi after after a while. And so his name is David Burtz, and so he kind of went by Ichi. He's like, you know, by the time I got to high school, like my teachers all called me Ichi, all my friends called me Ichi. He's like, about the only people who who do now are my close family members and like my college professors who, you know, they just, they read the name on the sheet and then that's all there is to it. And so the, the key moment, and I don't want to take too much from the story, but I, you know, uh, you know, I, I would appreciate you reading it, but one of the, there's a pivotal moment in this itchy Burt story where maybe he's just itchy Burtz for a while. And, you know, it, he goes by David Burtz at AM Corpus Christi and like in his bio somewhere on the AM Corpus Christi site, it says nickname is itchy or something like that. And maybe, Someone notices it, and we, we have a laugh and ask him about it, if it ends there. But when he filled out his athlete information sheet, he put the name he wanted on the roster as Itchy Berts, and his uh, thought process on that was simply, it can't hurt, which I endorse that idea, <laughs> um, just in general, like, eh, what's it going to hurt? Let me just go for it. Um, and so that's how he became Itchy Burks in college baseball, and that set him on a course to winning this thing. Uh, Three years in a row now, Teddy did mention that it it gets a little complicated in that we did kind of anticipate this being Itchy Burtz's send-off. But, you know, when I spoke to him, he said, yeah, I'd I'd like to come back. Um, So he might be in college baseball again next year, very likely will be in college baseball next year. So, you know, we can obviously have more of this discussion offline, but I would almost propose that we advance Itchy Burtz to some sort of emeritus position here. And maybe we name the entire list after him, like an Itchy Burt's memorial thing. Oh, that makes it sound like he's passed away. It's not memorial. But, yeah, like some sort of, you know, honorary Itchy Burt's names list or something. I don't know what that is. But like, I mean, it feels my, my, like
1: my first inclination is that he's eligible for the list next year if he returns. My my second inclination, though, is also that, yes, this may become known as the Itchy Burt's Awards. I, I could see that being the case.
2: Yeah, it just feels like we've, really sent him off in style here like we, we you know we've got this, the full story on him that really talks about him not just as from the name but also from a baseball standpoint because he was deserving to your point to, to really be examined that way it, it feels like maybe that is like the proper send-off for him and he has kind of uh, graduated from this list in a way so I don't know we'll kick that can down the road we'll have obviously have further discussions on that later on but feels like maybe we've reached that point
1: I mean, this decision could also be taken out of our hands uh, because he is good enough that there's a chance that he gets a pro look. Uh, you know, he's a little undersized and there are probably going to be questions about how much impact he has because, you know, he is while he's not hitting exactly like Ichiro, he's you know more that style of hitter. So that's not necessarily your typical pro profile but you know he has a real chance to be assigned and you know so maybe major league baseball has plans for him and uh, he'll get taken off of off of our um you know collective uh the the, the group of names we, we get to work with here the 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 college baseball ecosystem there's a word that i'm groping for here that i'm not i'm not getting and uh you know so we'll, we'll see what the future holds for itchy but we uh It's been a lot of fun. If we have seen the last of itchy in college baseball, it's been a lot of fun having him around and having him be such a productive player for the Islanders, because, you know, I really like the fact that he is like full on good, like all conference good um, because it's more than, than just like, Oh, you know, he's, he's sitting on the bench and, you know, getting in every third game or something like I, he's, he's a, uh, a really good player. And, you know, so every, every game, like he says in Joe's story, uh, every game they play on the road, the, the opposing PA announcer has to figure out, like, wait, is this my game pranked here? Is, is this kid's name really itchy? Uh, and, uh, you know, pauses a little bit before before he says his name. And I, I love that that's a thing that is happening in the Southland conference.
2: Yeah, I kind of expected I the original I asked him originally, like, do you hear like people like the crowd like because look I, I went to a Southland school so I know how it goes like there are not always a ton of people at these games in some of these places you can hear pretty much everything that gets said above a whisper in these crowds and I just wondered if when they read off the starting lineup do people in the crowd laugh do they make comments you know anything like that he's like no it's, it's mostly the PA guy so that was not the answer I was expecting but I'm with you <laughs> I I like that uh, it is it is forced as I wrote in the story it is force PA announcers to fear a Ron Burgundy type moment where they just blindly read what's in front of them and then regret it later.
1: I also want to shout out Presbyterian Zacchaeus Raspberry, who I feel like is uh, kind of like Adam Hazley a couple years ago as a utility player, would have been a first team All-American either two or three years probably, uh, were it not for Brendan McKay. And so Adam Hazley was not a first-team All-American two or three years because of Brendan McKay's existence. And I just feel like it's a little bit the same way here. If if Sikias Raspberry had come along just a couple years on either side of this, he would have the the best name in college baseball, and we we would be, uh, you know, he would have been number one on this list probably the last two years. But he just happens to be in college baseball at, at the same time. As one of the greatest names of all time, That's itchy Burtz. and so I just want to give Sakaius Raspberry uh, you know, his props. He is also a full-on good baseball player uh, in, in the Big South there for Presbyterian. So, uh, you know, we're uh, we, we've got two great ones, and, and I believe Sakaius is also a senior. So we're we we might be moving on to of the the better names in college baseball. Although again, uh, after the Division One Council's ruling. Uh, on Monday, that that remains uh, a little uncertain as as every senior around college baseball kind of tries to get a feel for what they're doing uh, going forward. OK, so that brings us to the close of, of the podcast here. We we appreciate you indulging us on the names list. If you're looking for the full 50, we gave you the first two. If you're looking for the full 50, go check that out over at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, there's plenty of other good stuff happening over there as we continue to cover college baseball, even as the, the season uh, is, is, is frozen in time here after 17 games and now full on canceled. So we, uh, we will be back here to talk more college baseball next week on the Baseball America College podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you can leave us a rating or a review, we really appreciate that as well. You can follow Joe and I on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And the game that we will be breaking down on next Friday's podcast will be the 1994 uh, College World Series final between Georgia Tech and Oklahoma. So you can find that on YouTube, which is also it's also linked on the the BaseballAmerica.com in, in Joe's story, Ten Great Games. You can watch on YouTube. So find that there, go watch it. Let us know your thoughts, any questions you have, comments. We're uh, going to be diving into that game next Friday. We will be back here on on Monday or Tuesday uh, with a a more newsy edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Until then, I want to thank Joe for joining me. I also want to thank Matt Braga again for joining us. It was great to talk with, uh, with him about that 2018 Oxford Regional. I've been Teddy Cahill. Thank you guys for listening.